The series within the Let Me Tell You Something oeuvre, in which myself, Lorcan Mullen, and the Matt Stone to my Trey Parker, Silent Cross, discuss a film or TV show or some work of art that is some way tangentially related to, based around, or set within the world of professional wrestling. And for this one, we're doing our first TV picks, and because there were two half-hour sitcom episodes, we thought we'd do a double bill. Uh, it's not a feature-length film, so it's a little bit less time to cover, and maybe it'll be a bit of a shorter episode as well. We don't know. But we'll be able to make a good, strong, valid comparison between the two and make some erudite points in the process. Almost certainly not, but we're going to keep trying anyway. <laughs> so, Simon, which shows and which episodes of the shows are we talking about today? We are talking about the South Park episode, WTF. Season 13, episode 10. Although it's it comes up on season 14 if you search for it on Amazon Prime, like I did. Say that again, Edge. You think you're better than me? Cena, your mouth has gotten you into trouble for the last time. I'm going to shut it up for you. Oh. Mess him up, Edge. Kick his ass, wee! Oh, yeah? I've got something else to tell you, Edge. I slept with Vanessa last night. Cena slept with Edge's girlfriend? You cheated and took my belt from me, and now I can't hardly get work wrestling. You took my girl, and you took my job. (gasps) He took his job! He took it, girl! Took it, girl! one a lot easier to find because netflix order their seasons correctly is the always sunny in philadelphia episode the gang wrestles for the troops that's season five episode seven Uh, i have a question though what's going on with hulk hogan's hair it's blonde and yet it's silken like that of a chinese man ah yes uh that is hulk hogan's signature look blonde chinese hair and the skin of a hot dog it's awesome Uh, The whole thing's fake, but it's really awesome. Fake? What the hell are you talking about, fake? It's not fake. Those guys got bashed and bloodied. I've seen guys get pounded in the ring. It's still fake, though, dude. Charlie, Charlie, I was there once. I saw a guy pick up a trash can, smash it into a guy's head. Blood went Uh, everywhere. Okay, what is going on here? Oh, 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 yeah, right here he's going into a state of Hulkamania. Okay, now when he's like this, nothing can hurt him, okay? It's like a seizure of strength. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. A funny little coincidence I didn't actually realise until I looked these up now. These episodes both came out in 2009. I didn't know that. Uh-huh. Yeah. The South Park episode does have a funny little fact in it of its own within the South Park universe. It features the only non-flappy-mouthed Canadian. Edge. Oh, God, yes, that's true. That is very true. So, WTF aired on October the 21st, 2009... And The Gang Wrestles for the Troops aired on October the 29th, 2009. The coincidences just keep on flying. It makes you wonder, like, what was in the air that in 2009 wrestling 
that would make two different shows we want to talk about. Obviously, the nature of production with uh, South Park means that that episode might have only been started work on it sometime around October the 10th. Also, yep. Yep. 2009. Whereas It's Always Sunny was probably filmed seven, eight, nine, ten months before this happened. Yes. So, before we go into this, I suppose we should talk about our own relationships with South Park and It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Simon, with those two shows, do you have a preference? Do you have one that you watch more than the other? Do you have one that you think is a better show? Have you dipped in and out? Um, how did you become aware of both of those shows, if you can remember that far back? Oh, that is that is a tough toss-up. To answer your last question first, when did I become aware of those shows? South Park was like primary school, late primary school, earlier secondary school, because it's around then that the movie came out. I'd have, I'd have been around my like formative teenage years. The film was out in 99, so you would have been eight, I think, at that point. Yes. Whereas, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, that was late college. Uh, it was one of those shows that uh, university opened my eyes to. I can't remember who initially introduced me to it. it might have been one of my flatmates. What an incredible show. Both of them are incredible. The cringe, the pure cringe of Always Sunny versus the absurdity and the insanity of South Park and like, the slightly, the both are very, the both very satirical. It's a, it's a toss up. I think I would just edge it to South Park if I had to pick a favourite. Just, but I would happily watch either at any time. So South Park came at exactly the right time for me. So I think it's one of those ones that's just indelible to people around my age. So I would have been around fifteen, sixteen when the show really took off. And, of course, one of the key things about South Park, and that's why it's so strange that at a relatively doldrums period of pro wrestling is the only time that they did the pro wrestling episode, is that I also indelibly connect the WWF Attitude Era to South Park. And when I, well, maybe the first time I became aware of South Park would have been through things like the New Age Outlaws coming out with South Park t-shirts on. Yeah, and... And a lot of South Park imagery on the posters. There'll be South Park characters in Austin 316 shirts or whatever else. But when the Oddities were super popular in 98, their whole thing was about South Park as well. Golga, a.k.a. Earthquake, would not go anywhere without his... Eric Cartman, though. I think Vince Russo was probably a huge fan of South Park. And yeah. I remember when I watched the Beyond the Mat documentary, which is a something, of course, we will cover for this series eventually. There's a moment where they're in a merchandising discussion in the offices. And there's a voice from one of the people in the boardroom telling Vince that they're WWF and South Park are one and two in basically all the merch sales everywhere. I will always think, when I think Attitude Era, I will always think South Park. When I did the show, Conventions of a Smart Wrestling Fan, and trying to give a sense of the period of time that the Attitude Era was a part of, I put it with images from South Park, as well as like Jerry Springer and Euro Trash. That's where we were in that late 90s, Eminem as well, that late 90s moral degeneracy which I think is probably reflective of the tabloid nature of politics that had happened both in Britain and in America in the 90s with the Clintons 
and everything like that. And also that, that complacency that came from it being post-Cold War. So there was a sense of like the debauched last days of Rome yeah. in many ways to that time period. Everyone was too relaxed, if anything. Yes, yes. There are no big problems anymore. We're at the end of history, as one book famously put it around that time. Oh, I think that's... I can't remember his name. It's a Japanese name. Yes. But I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Obviously, that wouldn't be the case. Uh, by 2001, we would have very different... We'd be in a very different situation to that. Yeah. But what's funny with South Park is it's kind of... It's very much like The Simpsons insofar as when it first hit, it was this cultural... Phenomenon. And seen as a sign of degradation and like the moral deer of the country in many ways. Bart Simpson in the late 90s... The late 80s and... Oh my God, they killed Kenny in the late <laughs> 90s. But that they both were able to carry on and then in many ways not be part of the cultural zeitgeist so much, but never escape the cultural zeitgeist at the same time. Mm. Not be the hot, white hot thing of that moment, but also not falling into obscurity. Yeah. There was never a time when it really faded away. And I think that's because the South Park guys, like the Simpsons, became better storytellers and sharper minds. They became more focused. It wasn't so scattershot. You watch the first couple of seasons of South Park, and it's very, it's very immature, deliberately, but also artistically immature. And I think that what changed it for the South Park guys were they learned how to tell stories, especially through doing the film. That the film really taught them the craft of storytelling. And after that, that was really what they, and that was obviously famously when they took apart Family Guy. Yeah, it was to say that our stuff is of situational, emotional, like, you know, quite snobby in all honesty. Ah, but it's also a good-natured shape, I feel, as well. I don't think it was good-natured. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that's also, I think, is significant about them is that they have their specific nerdy interests, and we'll get into that more when we talk about the episodes. When it comes to It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, I've never been a big fan. I'll tell you what it was that it really first came to my attention, would have been around after this episode, I suppose, where I saw this whole thing online about lots of people going on about Rob McElerney, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. But McElhaney, And he's really the most, the key creative driving point behind the show. Even more so than Charlie Day and Glenn Howerton. Is that he gained 50 pounds in weight. Oh, we're near Fat Mac, aren't we? Yes. For a joke. Yeah. Not for some great artistic reason like a, a Robert De Niro or a Christian Bale. He did it because he thought it would be funny if Mac got fat. Yeah. And similarly, a few years ago, he got himself into insane shape. Marvel Cinematic Universe leading man shape for the other end of the scale, just because it would be funny. Yeah. So that was when it first came to my attention. I think around that time, I must have sort of binge watched up to maybe season seven or eight or whatever, but never went back to it. I recently, just apropos of nothing, nothing to do with this started the rewatch on Netflix because it's on and you can just constantly dip in and out. There are certain sitcoms that I'll just have on the background. Yeah. Like I can dip in and out of like it's it's always sunny on Netflix and the Golden Girls on Disney Plus before the recent passing of Betty White. Oh I didn't know the Golden Girls was on Disney Plus. Yep, all eight seasons. All seven seasons, sorry. The eighth season is the Golden Palace and no one likes to talk about the Golden Palace. So my sense with it's always sunny in Philadelphia, I've always liked it. I've never loved it. And I found it repetitive when I 
tune into later episodes, it seems like it's still exactly the same. But I get that that's really the point. That they almost want to keep repeating themselves for as long as they can get away with it. We're into, what, season 15? And I think if they could, they'd do it up to season 30, 40. If they yeah. Could. And they're still in the same situation. That's kind of the point like of yeah. the characters, is they're these people who think they're better than they are, that can never really escape the si- through their own like stupidity, ego, and greed, can't escape their si- own situation. It's almost like a blue-collar, down-and-dirty version of the two great Larry David shows, I suppose, in that it has these utterly self-centred, unchanging, greedy, selfish people condemned to live with each other but never advance, like in Seinfeld. Yeah. Coupled with the freeform improv, loosely scripted style of Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's like a down-and-dirty, blue-collar version of... The, both those shows to me mm. and i would say lesser of those two shows as well i don't think it's ever reached the heights of either of those shows but i've always admired it even if i've not been one of the big acolytes because it's obviously it's a show that for some people is the best show ever and i can see why it's got a cult following yeah i i, I respect the cult following i would say for me it serves a purpose it's like it is plug and play television like you referred to earlier so i love awkward humor and that is a great source for it. But it's so awkward and it's so bad sometimes. It's like eating a really, really rich chocolate cake. Whereas the American office, for example, is just like eating something that's slightly sweet. And you can eat a lot more of it in one sitting, I feel, sometimes. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a combination of things of it not being as nasty. You know, I th- maybe that's the thing with It's Always Sunny. If you watch too many episodes, you end up feeling like you need a shower. <laughs> especially if especially if they're involving the McPoyle family. Oh. Or um, the character that turns up in this episode, the punching bag of their entire lives. What's this character's name? He's Rickety Cricket. He is kind of their picture of Dorian Gray. Because every time they interact with him, he always ends up worse for it. Well, he's kind of cleaned up a bit at the start of this episode, hasn't he? Yes, but in his, the previous time they interacted with him, he was a mem- he was a a working priest, so he's already he's at the start of his slide in season five. So I will have seen this episode only once. The South Park one, I think I must have rewatched several times. So to get into the wrestling side of it. I think there are two, the key difference I would say, first of all, when we're making a comparison, and I did a little bit of research for, not not today or recently, but like a, a few weeks ago when we knew we were going to do this. The, it's always sunny in Philadelphia guys were at least at some point in their lives wrestling fans. Yeah. Maybe even, if not fans, are still aware of it at the time of this record, this episode. The South Park guys don't really know anything. Yeah. They have no interest. And then I listened to a audio, because they did DVD commentaries for the shows, but they didn't want to do the full episode. So they would just start talking at the start of the episode, and three to seven or eight minutes into it, they'll say, we've run out of things to talk about. And then you just go on back to the audio of the episode. <laughs> and so they did the wrestling one. And Trey said flat out, I didn't watch it. I never got to it. 
And Matt Stone said he watched it briefly during the start of the Hulk Hogan period, which is also, funnily enough, the period of the footage of WWF that Mac and everyone is watching. Yeah, on Dee's laptop. Which would also suggest, again, that that was when they were interesting. I think that was probably when they were interesting at the most. But there are enough hints at their depiction of wrestling that they're aware of certain things. Like maybe, if nothing else, they might have watched Beyond the Mat and modelled a lot of Roddy Piper's character on, like, Jake the Snake Roberts in that yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. Because um, Domaniac, to give him his wrestling name, is is not a man well on his feet. He's very much like in the wrestling story. So you sometimes hear while they drive from town to town for like a $50 payoff. He is that. Charlie finds notably like a bucket of like ch- horse chestnuts in the car. And he's like, fo- is he foraging for food? How is he living? <laughs> Actually, I was just realizing and I just had a quick look there. Maybe they aren't as where because... This would have been made just after the Mickey Rourke wrestler movie came out. So again, that whilst Mickey Rourke is the prestige Oscar version of that character, the It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is the It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia version of that character. Yeah. Roddy Piper was obviously a fantastic performer and a, not a versatile actor, but he could go into one particular lane very well. Yeah. If anything, his stature has grown over the years because of the increased popularity of They Live, which is now seen as... Uh, I mean, it's now called ahead of its time, but it's not. These these times have always been the same. It's just we've been aware of them now. Yes. <laughs> they were more explicitly stated through buzzwords and everything thanks to the online world. But what is being said in They Live was what was being said 10 years later in The Matrix and what is being said every year since then and was being said for many years before then in science fiction books and everything Mm. and as well as that with roddy piper was always very good at being brazen and honest about the wrestling business when he needed to sell a certain story to certain people i don't know if you remember but when he came back to the wwf in uh 2003 with his brief run against hulk hogan as mr america and his time with Sean O'Hare as his protege. He got knocked off. He was like meant to be a proper member of the roster for as long as they could keep him. But then it was during one of those expose documentaries and everything, and, and Roddy Piper was very honest about how bitter and depressed he was, and he didn't love it anymore, and this was all he knew. And so WWE just fired him. Brilliant. Yeah, compass- <laughs> compassionate as always. <laughs> But this is around also the time that he would have done that interview that was shown on the John Oliver segment where he's saying, oh, I've got a pension that I can cash out when I'm 65. I'm not going to reach 65. Yeah. And so it's like taking that depressed image, and I wonder if that was something that they were aware of and giving it to Roddy Piper, or did they give it to Roddy Piper and then Roddy Piper imbued it with even more? (laughs) I know this. I I lived this in in a way. Yeah. I mean, he's not to the tragic point of working $30 on weeknights, $50 on weekends. Up front. Now. Yeah. But then again, I guess it's that sense of, they don't seem to know much about him. He's just the one that's on their local show. So maybe it's unlike Randy the Ram or Roddy Piper, where he was in the big time, and now he's slumming it. No, he's very much just a old wrestler, rather than an, an old famous wrestler. Yeah. Yeah. And 
What's crazy as well was when I watched the match, I thought, wow, this guy that he's beating up is quite an impressive physical specimen for a jobber, especially compared to Roddy Piper at maybe his most unhealthy. Yeah. He lost he lost quite a lot of that weight um, in the subsequent years. Well, I think he kind of fluctuated, but he was never that big again, as far as I can recall, whenever he make a return on WWE TV, like when he did that whole segment against John Cena and the Nexus, and then a couple of years later they brought Piper's Pit back for the... Uh, the Shield, oh, with uh, uh, Jake the Snake Roberts as well, and that Hulk Hogan birthday celebration where he mad dogs yes. Lesnar. Yeah, <laughs> him and Paul Orndorff were like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I always love that. And when they did the Shield thing, and he like um, pinched Roman Reigns' cheek, but Roman Reigns played that well, you know, and said, "I'll break you in two or something yeah. along those lines. Ah, Roman Reigns, if they would just leave him alone, he'd be great. (laughs) Then I was shocked when I realised when I looked at the credits that the jobber, essentially, that he's beating up throughout this whole time, and I texted you this, you didn't reply, I'd be curious whether you just knew it already, is Don Fry. Uh, No, I didn't know it already. I I just, like, I, 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 I was just dumbstruck, really. I mean, Don Fry has one of the coolest looks any wrestler's ever had. And for him to be a wordless, just schmuck getting beaten up by Roddy Piper just boggles my mind. And that would have been around the time, I guess it was a year later maybe, that he was like a major supporting player in the Michael Mann Public Enemies film with Johnny Depp and uh, Marion Cotillard and I think Christian Bale? I might be wrong there. I'm not sure on that one. But yeah, I just feel like Don Fry could have done it. Don Fry would be perfect as an It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia character. Yeah. With his look and his voice and his demeanour. But... And his charisma. I mean, he's just a, a literal jobber. Yeah. <laughs> that you don't see his full face, and I didn't realise it was him. Because I wouldn't have thought, oh, I bet that's Don Fry. Yeah. Just getting his ass kicked by Roddy Piper <laughs> in a wordless role. But Roddy brings, like, uh, his, like... Your, as you say, like his typical charisma to this role. He has like a crazy energy, but unlike what they think a crazy energy is, because they're in, like, they were like, oh, Hulkamania, he's entering his stage when they're watching the clip at the start of the episode. They come to realize that's not just his wrestler crazy energy, he is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but again, that's something that makes me wonder if they knew more about the culture of wrestling, even if only through the wrestler film. That character is something that we as wrestling fans can recognise through watching things like Beyond the Mats, through hearing stories about the indie scene, through watching The Wrestler. And people talk about the territories as well. Yeah, obviously, because there's a mania to him, like you could have done like a Dick Murdoch character yeah. version of him. And a Dick Murdoch character in real life, in his real life activities, could also have worked <laughs> in an It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia episode as well. I mean, it's a standard... It's always sunny. There's a subplot that really has that has absolutely nothing to do with wrestling. Really, it's your classic sweet D. No, but it's a way, it's a way of like because they want to do something for the troops, and I think it's a great way to link ha- have an in with troops to get actual troops there. Yeah, yeah, but that is just the sweet D storyline of her. You know, again, it's like taking the Elaine stereotype of a woman in romance, but with standards and quite a selfish attitude you know yeah. behavior that they don't recognize within themselves with it just being that she sees the guy that she's been spending so much time talking to online and he turns up in a wheelchair so she wants nothing to do with him 
passes him off to a friend. Artemis. He's a regular, yeah, like a regular recurring character, but then realised that he was only in a wheelchair because he twisted his ankle. Oh, yeah, twisted his knee getting off a plane yeah. in Germany. <laughs> yeah. He's like, yeah, no, it's all fine. Uh, where he's got the, the shorts that um, Frank gave him on behalf of the boys <laughs> earlier, the jean shorts. Because there's a great yeah. moment, like, thank you for your service, as um, Seal's Kiss from a Rose is playing due to Sweet D's online username being Desert Rose. So she's dressed as in red holding a rose, then awkwardly tries to get out of it when she sees him come off the ramp in the wheelchair. It's just We got we better not just repeat what the show no, was. But I, I, I just, about, that is yeah. my perfect example no, I know, of the no. cringe of it all. Yeah. But then she go to try and win his heart again because she's delusional. She thinks she's funny. She thinks she's talented. She's a great singer, comedian, actor. She's none of those things. And it's funny as well. One of the things I do know about It's Always Sunny was that they just wrote her as the straight character. Yeah. At the start. And you can see in the first few episodes when I started watching it. And then she was like, no, just because I'm the girl doesn't mean I can't be as disgusting. I mean, one of, maybe the first show that really made me a fan of the show, the first episode that really made me a fan of the episode, I think was an early season two one where Sweet D and... Dennis are going to leave the bar. You know, it's always a great, you know, I mean, obviously the best gag in It's Always Sunny is always the juxtaposition of them saying something and then the title of the episode. <laughs> yes. And that one being like, we'll see you losers later. And then the head, the title is something like Dennis and Sweet D go on welfare. And then they become crack addicts very quickly. <laughs> going to smoke some more crack. Then I can study and become a vet. Uh, and then we'll get your headshots. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it's always something they made the classic mistake, but then they learn from their errors very early on. What I like about the Always Sunny episode and the South Park episode is they focus on the pageantry, but both in different ways. They uh, Always Sunny is all about the costumes and, like, the look and the entrance. And also the, the down-and-dirty, low-budget, it's-always-sunny world, so that they can't even try to put on a WWF show. They wear shitty, feathered costumes. <laughs> the Chicken Boys! No, we're sticking with Birds of War! Yeah. <laughs> with their rap. And their drawn-on abs. Oh. Although, to be fair to uh, Mac in particular... Uh, not Mac, sorry. To be fair to uh, Dennis, Glenn, he, he was pretty much rocking them anyway. Yeah. It's just the bad lighting. I've I've always been a fan of Glenn Howerton. and I haven't watched AP Bio yet. That has just recently ended, but I'll be curious to... I will probably get around to watching that at some point. But one of the things... Because I, I have been a fan of his, and I remember when I was reading up... Because I love reading up on who auditioned for roles that they didn't get and everything. Yeah. And I was reading up on all the actors that auditioned to play Star-Lord in Guardians of the Galaxy. And it was like Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Aaron Paul, you know, loads of, loads of guys. Yeah. And obviously it was won by Chris Pratt. When I saw Glenn Howerton's name on it, I was like, he could have been a great Star-Lord. Like if anyone else, if I was to cast anyone from that list other than Chris Pratt as Star-Lord, he would have been who I would have cast. Oh, okay. And then it turns out I was not the only person that thought that because I read an article a few years later where... Uh, James Gunn was talking about how he was anxious about casting, as he called it, the fat guy from Parks and Rec. <laughs> and saying, well, if it hadn't worked out for him, we had Glenn Howerton ready. Yeah. So he was like their second choice. But then Chris hit the weights. He did hit the weights. Because that was that was really annoying to me. Because I was, I mean, I was a huge Parks and Rec fan. Again, it's like a sign that maybe the sweetness of Parks and Rec appeals to me more than the utter 
you know, nihilism. (laughs) (laughs) It's always sunny. And I'd always said, when it was that classic question of who would play you in the movie of your life if you could cast anyone, I said, if you can do the accent, I would cast Chris Pratt. Can't say that now. (laughs) Can't say that now. He betrayed all of us. (laughs) (laughs) Who would you have cast as you in the movie? I've already said that you, uh, at one point when I saw you with your hair and your glasses in a certain way, I said uh, Justin Theroux in Mulholland Drive could be like the glammed up Hollywood version of you. As a sign, ladies and uh, listeners, the fact that I said that fat Chris Pat was a glammed up Hollywood version of me (laughs) shows you what I think of myself. Jeez. Uh, At least he's tall. <laughs> I'm not too sure who could play me, you know. I I, I think I'm gonna... Oh, I'm such a unique snowflake. That is not what I'm saying. <laughs> just all the actors I can think of look nothing like me. No, I'll, I'll stick with your Justin Faroo, I think. I think that's uh, the best one. But anyway, I think we sort of... It's always sunny. Well, obviously the biggest thing to talk about with It's Always Sunny is Trash Man. <laughs> who? The uh, Danny DeVito character, who seems like... It's like one of the iconic images, isn't it? Like, I know there are people with trash man tattoos and everything. Yeah. And I think he's only ever appeared in one episode as the trash man character. Yeah, I think that this is it. And also, it's I know that it's weird, because they're talking about Hulkamania at the start, and he is wearing Andre the Giant's yes. singlet as well. So I don't know if that was intentional on their part or not. I think that's just kind of default wrestler costume, and maybe they didn't want to have Danny DeVito run around in... In trunks, although knowing Danny DeVito, he would have been more than happy to do and that. And he, ha- yeah, Obviously, he has in I've seen episodes. the sofa. Yes. I've seen the I sofa. I just want to be pure. <laughs> yeah. That that was another thing that obviously brought It's Always Sunny to my attention from season two when they got Danny DeVito in. Because, you know, I grew up, Danny DeVito was literally a movie star. Yeah. You know, Twins, Matilda, all of that stuff, The War of the Roses. A very interesting director as well. Such an unusual person to become a movie star, too. <laughs> but we're all better for it. Like, like you yes, said. of course. Yeah. But apparently, he just did It's Always Sunny because he liked the show. And there's talk that he basically has now become Frank Reynolds. <laughs> like, <laughs> full-on methoded it. Yeah. <laughs> but our... It's a fascinating third act to go through with your career, you know, from just a simple character actor first really getting his big break as one of the inmates in one floor of the cuckoo's nest to unlikely first sitcom star with taxi and then even more unlikely movie star and then entering his autumn years and being on maybe the biggest cult tv show for 14 years now yeah i don't think he's left the show at any point no no and really throwing himself into it Pure commitment on an anarchic level. Got to have something to do in your autumn years, otherwise you go mad, don't you? Absolutely. Or in this case, have something to do and go a bit mad. Yeah, I mean, again, one of the things I do, I have nothing against gross out humour, but sometimes I, you know, I it's something, again, I, I feel like I'm going to have a shower. Yeah. You know, literally seeing him take that sort of manic wrestler character and go full, again, like Danny DeVito, go full method into eating it. Eating the apple core out the bin. Literally eating a rotten apple yeah. out the bin. It does do the one thing, though, that, again, frustrates me with so much comedy. I mean, it's less of an issue with, with depictions of wrestling. But it's less of an issue with It's Always Sunny than it is with South Park. And that's the key thing of the people behind it being obsessed with people not knowing it's fake. Yeah. 
But to be fair, all the three guys who were like clearly of the right age to have been WWF fans growing up in the Hulkamania era, they all know that it's fake, but they also argue that you get hurt doing it. Yeah. Uh, whereas Frank, uh, and it's the great final shot where Frank's like, ah, it'll, it'll all be fine. And he uh, slits the Taliban's throat wide open uh, with the trash can. Uh, and there's this chaos with like sand in their eyes. Uh, Max ran away. Yeah, I love that as well. Yeah, like taking it like the the if WWF wrestling was allowed to go as extreme as it did back in the days of Nikolai Volkov in the footage that we're seeing, that the Taliban wrestler would have been throwing sand in the eyes as a substitute for the typical Japanese wrestler throwing salt I was in say, the it's, eyes. It's Mr. Fuji just swapping out sand yeah. for salt, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Again, just another one of those signs that they know things about wrestling. Yeah. They know how it operates. But also, like, in their arrogance, it's also their sense of it's fake, so we'll just make it up as we go along. Yeah. We don't need training or anything. We are wrestlers immediately. They could have done an episode where they go for a, a lesson, and then they have to do, like, a, a bump, and they're like, fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just beat up him for a whole... I think a part of that is them, like, freestyling when they realise uh, training would involve interacting more with the maniac. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> who they then obviously lose because he gets arrested for unpaid parking tickets. So they did plan to have a trained guy in. Yeah. So, yeah, then we get to South Park. And I'd always wanted South Park to do something about wrestling because of the Attitude Era. I wouldn't say I'm disappointed by this episode. I was disappointed by the level of unoriginality in the premise, but they came up with creative depictions of it, I'll say that. But the key thing that they're obsessed with is, oh, wrestling's fake, and why do people watch something that's fake? And the, Trey Parker basically says in that commentary, he's never understood why people would like it. Yeah. And it's like, dude, you write Broadway musicals. <laughs> something that he fully embraces in this episode, so I guess maybe that's him copping to it. Yeah. Because he basically says, wrestling is what it is, which is theatre or opera for the masses that's what it's always been when i've wanted to try and describe wrestling if i've always thought of maybe doing a, a video essay about wrestling or what i love about it and the scene that i would always do if i could to open it up would be to take the scene from amadeus where they go to this light opera show that's like a parody of mozart's work and it's all like the working class people, not the upper class toffs in the powdered wigs that are seeing all the other opera shows. It's like opera equivalent of pantomime. Oh, okay. And I said, that's basically what wrestling is. That it is, I mean, you know, one of the things I always say is it's male soap opera, but I've said it's not that. It is literally opera, but for the working classes. And now the metropolitan middle classes that obviously the South Park guys didn't realize are big fans of wrestling as well yeah like a lot of the south park fans that came on board were probably huge wrestling fans at the same time i don't think they necessarily realized that because of their depictions of wrestling fans as either country bumpkins or the mexican equivalent of country <laughs> bumpkins. oh kenny is a lucha is inspired and like the little ways yeah. they get around obscuring kenny's face especially in the amateur wrestling class where he's got a complete yeah. head shield on it's <laughs> just it's the simple things. 
It's how they subvert it as well with the amateur wrestling guy. I quite like him as a... He's one of my favourite one-off characters in South Park. The script is literally flipped in the eyes of like everyone else and he's the only one that can see it. But in the end, when the big money comes in, he sells out everything he believes in and like rides off into the sunset with Vince at the end. But it's the little things. It's the details. It's how, by the time they go to that big amphitheatre, which is very much like... Romeo and Juliet vibes, what with like the balcony seating and everything. You've then got an intermission, them swilling their wine glasses and the proper theatre yeah. intermission bing bong for the second half yeah. of the show. So it is pointing out that it is of that thing, you know, and it's like I go to the theatre occasionally, not as much as I'd like to because I'm not made of money. But one of the things I realise when I go to the theatre is how there's an entire strata of society that I never interact with. These are people that shop at different places, eat at different restaurants, live in different streets and towns and villages that I don't get to go to. (laughs) And they're the worst people in the world. (laughs) (laughs) And I know some people will think from my voice, being from Birmingham, that I'm one of those people, but I really am not. (laughs) Uh, And maybe my love of wrestling is one of those ways I can show that I'm not, I suppose. Yeah. But I do like that, that it seems to be their admission of, yes, wrestling's fake, but it it is theatre. Yeah. And it's theatre for the masses, but do they respect wrestling for that, or do they see it as a lower art form because of that? That's the question. There's no love for wrestling in this. No. And they're still hung up on the, it's fake, which is has not been news since the 1950s, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. So it's that lack of knowledge or interest that that holds it back for me a little bit. But it's still interesting to see the South Park take on it. You are right, they are a little hung up on it. But I think that's what they're going for. I think they're going for that people do get too hung up on it. Maybe to a degree. I don't know how far down the rabbit hole it goes. Because in terms of like things they've like satirised and lampooned, wrestling... By and large, gets a in, in South Park terms gets quite a bit of a pass. Really, there have been far harsher episodes on different subjects. So, I think it's just like again, it's just a light-hearted. This is what people like. We're not sure why. Play around with it, kind of thing. Yeah, I will say that that whilst they aren't fans of it themselves, I think they can understand why others are. Yes, yes, and they point out why to little kids. Pro wrestling is maybe the most exciting thing you've ever seen in your short lives. What's also funny as well is that whilst it is the whole thing that all the country bumpkin people that make up the rest of the crowd at the WWE show and that gradually make their way to the WTF shows is that they all think it's fake. But the South Park characters, Kenny Cartman, Kyle, Stan, Jimmy, Token and Butters, and I think that's all of them, isn't it? They're the ones that they use. All of the wrestlers. Yeah, they're all the, the ones that wrestle. Yeah. They all know that it's fake and actually love it for that. Yeah. They've got it all scripted out and they write, di- you know, they're saying this is the greatest wrestling I've ever seen. It's <laughs> dialogue and theatre. You whore. No, the whore line's later. <laughs> yeah. 
and that it becomes more and more theatrical. That's one of the things I love as well, that it becomes increasingly, like, the lighting becomes more. Yes. <laughs> the st- my favourite line in the whole episode. Do you have a favourite line before we uh, before I skip? Oh. So I've got my favourite line. And it's a line that I've always thought of ever since the first time I watched the episode. It's always stuck in my head. So I'm going to ruff- ruffle off two or three. One of your aborted fetuses have come back, and it's the, the <laughs> ringer they brought in. And then he starts his musical number not long after. Uh, no, he start, He does that in the audition. I beg your pardon. There's the, uh, we found all the gay porn on your phone line from the woman that works at the school. So my favourite line is just the encapsulation of the absurdity of the situation, and also theatre, is it's after Kyle's done his opening monologue with the leaves in the background, the little the sort of branches on the proscenium arch. Oh, yes. And and Stan comes in and goes, here he is, hiding in the forests. <laughs> That's my favourite line. That the ring is a forest. Sorry, you've just dug, dug my memory of uh, when Cartman's talking about the fields of Moscow as like the uh, Rad Russians. Yes. And they're all like yes. flowers in the background for him. Yes. <laughs> They've gone into abstract dance. Yes. <laughs> because I was a theatre kid growing up. Well, I wasn't a theatre kid. I was a, I was a child actor. I did some TV stuff in my time. I think I've already mentioned my claim to fame on the beloved British comedy, sh- uh, the British kids show Brum. I was going to say, Brum was not a comedy. That was a hard-hitting well, documentary. Our episode was. Our <laughs> episode was. That was a body language performance as well. We'd had no dialogue. It was essentially a silent film that we were doing. And I was saying this to my friend. I'm, I mean, I'm on the iPlayer. Did I tell you that the other day, that I'm on the iPlayer? You didn't, but now I know that I will be seeking that out. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've been in every episode i've been on tv somewhere in the world every week for the last 20 years because they just churn those things out they sell them off to all these different markets yeah and it's just shown on a loop because you know you just shove the same thing in kids faces for their whole lives i think there's only ever been like 30 episodes of teletubbies ever made (laughs) they just put them in a constant cycle it's just colours and shapes, isn't it? It's fine. It's fine. Exactly. <laughs> and boy, did I have some shapes. <laughs> <laughs> did I tell you about the role that I got cast in without auditioning? What it was called? No. Podge. And I, I have to say, 2001 me, I don't think that the size I was there would be enough to justify being called Podge in 2022. No. I dream of being Podge size. <laughs> But anyway, I've done my theatre, and a lot of that happened. A lot of the performance and everything reminded me of the thing that I'm actually the most proud of as an actor. Maybe not the most proud of actually, because I did a play in a uni about Oscar Wilde. So I've done my theatre, and one of the things I did was I did Midsummer Night's Dream in the grounds and the house of a like this sort of not a country manor, but it was like a little a nice big house that's obviously been there since a long time ago. Like decked out. I think it's now like a public. Paid attention to the tour then, didn't you? <laughs> but it was like a stately home. And so we did A Midsummer Night's Dream, which I think is always the great, like if you're trying to get your kids into Shakespeare, good luck with that. But I think A Midsummer Night's Dream is very often like a lot of people's introduction to Shakespeare. Yeah, I, I seem to remember it being one of like the first plays I covered. In like my school life doing Shakespeare. The other one being Macbeth. Those are your two like 
you go in with those, really. Well, yeah, I mean, A Midsummer Night's Dream is like the one that introduces people to Shakespeare and Macbeth. I remember because I went and saw Ian McKellen at the Rep when he was doing a tour of like uh, the first half was him talking about like Lord of the Rings and all that sort of stuff, and then the second half he comes out with the complete works of Shakespeare, like all the or books of them of each of the plays, the thirty-seven plays, and he challenges the audience to name all thirty-seven of them. Fucking hell, are these middle-class twats gonna look enjoy that? <laughs> someone. Having someone constantly yell out the Scottish play next to me. Even though if they paid any fucking attention, he said Macbeth right at the start. So, A, you're already out of time. B, we all know that it's called the Scottish play. All right? <laughs> We've all seen that Blackadder episode. How? That's been in there a long time. You're glad that it's out oh, there it's now. <laughs> but Macbeth, McKellen always said, was the play that they would put on at the rep companies if they were a bit low on funds. Like, if they hadn't made enough money for the season, they'd end it with Macbeth, because that was always a... That was a guaranteed audience. That was the Spider-Man No Way Home of Shakespearean theatre. Ask the money, kid! Yeah. That's Vince McMahon's amateur wrestler guy. That's where the money is. Well, yeah. Let's get to that, actually. The... Like, the the Midsummer Night's Dream performance reminded me a lot of that depiction of the theatre piece. Like... It was, you know, because it's Shakespeare and it's artsy, but accessible enough. I was Francis Flute, one of the mechanicals. I had to wear a dress because that was obviously the thing back in the day. Because it was like it's a play within a play, and obviously in Sha- in Shakespeare's time, women weren't allowed on stage. Women actors, women was... actors. <laughs> and so I play Francis Flute, who gets cast as Thisbe. What is Thisbe? A wandering knight. You shall be the woman of the play. Nay, faith, let me not play a woman. I have a beard coming. Why he didn't bother to shave is never quite <laughs> explained. Plot hole theatre sins will be right on that. All right. Anyway. <laughs> and so we were in the country estate. And so the court scenes were done in the, not the mezzanine, but the central place yeah. where, where they had the seats. But then when they would venture out in Midsummer Night's Dream, when the lovers would run away and the were in the fairyland with Puck and all them lot, then we went outside into the garden area. Oh, okay. Into the, the grounds. And so we did the play in, in those locations as well. Yeah. And that was a lot of fun, like doing it all around there. But yeah, again, about the whole thing about setting and, and the abstractness. And if, if it's not realistic, then you might as well play it up and have fun with it. Which is what these guys do. Which is what they do, and they just take it, embrace it, and go on to the next step. And I think it, again, is like Trey Parker trying to find some kind of connection because he genuinely was a theatre brat. He he did love all that stuff. He loved the Broadway musicals. And that's why, in the later part of the episode, it actually becomes an homage to one of the biggest musical hits of, like, for their childhood, I suppose, around the time that Hulkamania was running wild on Broadway. It was a chorus line. Oh... You heard of a chorus? No, I have. I've not seen it, but now the way that the the ringer actor, the ringer wrestler sings his song makes a lot more sense now. So the premise of a chorus line was like a deconstruction of theatre at the time. So it's a bare stage, and the premise of the show is that they're auditioning people for a Broadway show. So the stage is laid out all out bare. You can see the back of it, like, you know, where the dressing rooms would link up and everything, where you usually have, like, a a painting or whatever to, to give you a background. 
So it's all stripped bare. And they're all just in their workout dance costumes. And there's an offstage voice asking different ones to come forward, like giving them numbers. And that whole thing about, you know, tell me something about yourself. Oh, there's not a lot to tell, really. And then they would go into their own song and dance numbers. They would break into song and everything. Oh, okay, right. And then they finally cast which of the characters in the play that them get cast in to join the chorus line. And it's quite an ingenious ending. I've never seen it, but I would like to see it, if nothing else, for the ending, where they put down the the stage, and the stage is set up for a show at that point, and they sing the closing nine chorus line, which you will have heard, I know you will have heard, because it's one chorus line of people dancing to the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-
sometimes I did love those episodes as well, especially when they would sometimes hit something so perfectly. Sometimes they were just off. Like they just when they just don't get it, you know? Like this one they don't get wrestling or like the one that was about George R. R. Martin and they seem to think that George R. R. Martin was obsessed with penises. And it's like have you watched that as a Game of Thrones? <laughs> it's very much the not penis penises. The penis boob ratio is very much off with what you seem to think it is. Yeah. You know? So again, it's like these aren't wrestling fans, but they are Broadway fans, and they're pointing, and so they they insert their love of Broadway into it and their love of theatre. But again, it's like another sign of how they don't get it in their depiction of Vince McMahon. So like anyone that knows anything about wrestling, if you thought like if if they really hone their attention to Vince McMahon what kind of character you could have done with that? Yes. like say their depiction of Mickey Mouse in the South oh, as the yes. head of Disney Corporation but with this it's just that he's uh, the talent scout and, but again I would have thought that if nothing else even if they weren't uh, wrestling fans I know that they're American football fans so they might have known about him through the XFL and his famous interview with Bob Costas on HBO that was really like people who weren't wrestling fans will talk about that as one of the key moments of Vincent Man in popular culture. But they, they're just not interested in it. Yeah. Can you imagine what would drive Vince crazy more than anything, though? Is like the one line, the one word that's said over and over again is wrestling. Yes. He would be angry about them calling it wrestling than the wrestling amateur Olympic guy yeah. would be. Oh, and he, I mean, I know they don't, they didn't think of this. But he strikes me as very much once Vince's brand started, a lot of how a lot the territory fans were. Like, nah, this this razzle dazzle stuff isn't for me. No thank you. Well I guess it is true that Vince wouldn't say this is wrestling either. <laughs> no, it's not wrestling. It is showmanship. It is Broadway theatre. It is vaudeville, as he once said to uh, Freddie Prince Jr. I've just started listening to his podcast actually, it's quite good. So it's fun for what it is. It's not a required viewing, and you kind of wanted South... Because South Park can so often define an issue perfectly when they hit it right. Yeah. They can speak to a truth, like a douche versus a turd sandwich. Obviously, that's pissed people off in different ways over the years, but it still kind of sums up a truth within that a lot of people perceive in that world. Or member berries. You know, member berries may be summed up our culture better than anything has yeah. <laughs> outside of Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen yeah. in meme formats. So it's fun, but it's like a minor episode, but I do miss those South parks where they just took something, a little idea and let the kids be kids really. Yeah. Maybe my favorite version of that kind of episode would maybe be the one where the boys see the girls with the little pick a number, pick a color thing. Oh yes. <laughs> the time traveling device <laughs> and also it's always one of those funny things as well that when Carmen gets hooked onto something kind of the the worst parts of his personality slightly go away yeah like because he recognizes that Carl's a pretty good wrestler he doesn't bother going after him or, or obviously he turns against Jimmy and and <laughs> token and everyone yeah but, but Stan's on board with it yeah <laughs> so I was gonna say like, um, broadly well and Stan and Kenny broadly it's just them yeah. going right He's got a point. So they're kind of a, a united front. I guess maybe the, actually the best example of that is probably the World of Warcraft episode. Yeah. And that, again, is something that they clearly, because they're gamers as well, that it just means more to them. So it's fun in and of itself. It's not like a required viewing of understanding wrestling through a pop cultural landscape. Because it's not saying anything interesting or new or exciting. You know, that they're so hung up on it being fake is like, if that's your hook about wrestling 
then you have nothing in the slightest bit of interest or understanding of the culture around it. Like, they're the people that would say, why do you like it? It's fake. And again, it would be like, if you like Star Wars, then shut up. <laughs> Whereas when they talk about fakeness in the Always Sunny episode, that's, that's their like pride and hubris kicking in. Like, oh, it's fake. We can do that. And by the end, they're all like, you know, trying to get sand out their eyes or bleeding to death. And Frank has been proven right that it is real <laughs> because he's almost killed a man. Yes, and literally raises his arms in triumph. <laughs> so, yeah, well, I mean, which would you say was a better episode? Actually, no, like depictions of wrestling, I suppose. We were talking about how we'd rate them, rate the episode and rate the depiction of wrestling. The Always Sunny, I would say, is like a six or a seven out of ten as an episode, I would say. It's nothing world-beating. I'll go with a seven because Trashman is so memorable and the sand in the face and everything. It genuinely surprises you as he goes along, and I really enjoy Roddy Piper's character. I, I will also say on the um, Always Sunny, it just has a scene. It sticks in my head a lot. The the jorts and the kiss from a rose awkward salute that Frank does is all great awkward humour, but it's not gross awkward humour, so it's sort of perfect. Yeah, I'll go a seven on the episode, and, and for depiction of wrestling, I think I'd also go a seven. Because they have an affection for it, and respect is the wrong word, but, you know, a knowledge. They show its grittiness that it isn't all pageantry and stuff with the way the maniac is as a person. Because, yeah, obviously, again, both of those both shows are also alluding to backyard wrestling in general, I suppose. Did you clock the, um, and I, I hope this was added on by makeup, but uh, in the crowd, one, they have their wrestling show, one guy has a swastika tattoo. I didn't notice that, no. No, it's a sleeveless guy, uh, old, goatee beard kind of thing going on. Once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. Well, the whole show is about, like, the grimy underbelly of these major Amer- of a major American city. Well, you know, one of the most historically important cities in the US. One of those northeast cities. And, and Philadelphia as well, with its... There's maybe no more important city in America for wrestling history. It's between that and New York City, I suppose. Yeah. And they don't really address that, you know? No, no. Well, well, I wonder again if they grew up... Because, again, maybe with the depiction of the gritty world, maybe that's from, like, some knowledge of what ECW was. Because I think they did grow up in Philly, didn't they? Or some of them did. I'm not sure, to be brutally honest. Maybe not. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not. I would have guessed if anyone did, Rob might have. But, yeah. Uh, as for South Park, in terms of ratings, I'd probably go... I'd go about six, seven. As an episode, I quite like it. Yeah, I would go a decent to strong six on the episode. For its depiction of wrestling, it's kind of, it's funny, but it's also the base level of knowledge and even necessarily respect for it, I'm not sure. But it did make me laugh. You thinking a five? So yeah, like a strong five, I suppose, maybe. Because it took something interesting with it. Point, especially with the depiction of the, the country people drinking wine and then being emotionally affected by the storylines. Yes. You know, don't duck it, And then the third time they do it, don't hit Yes, we know. Shush. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was great. That was, I mean, that, that episode where they debut as well is a great episode, even even though it, it's one of those ones where uh, I think they regret their arguments against uh, climate change and called themselves out on it in a later episode. 
Okay, so Man Bear Pig is real. But what are we going to do now? You can't do anything about it. I can't do anything about it. <laughs> <laughs> Two fun things, but if you're looking for a definitive someone nailing how wrestling is, this ain't yeah. it. It's no glow. It's no The Wrestler. I would assume it's no heels. Neither of them are. But they're, they're decent episodes. They're good examples of what both shows are. In many ways. Obviously, South Park is so many different things, whereas It's Always Sunny, again, plows that one field, but plows it regularly. <laughs> it knows what it's doing. It knows every nook <laughs> and every cranny of that field. Yes. But anyway, that's been this episode. Went a lot longer than we expected. Wasn't sure we'd have much to talk about, but we did. Well, we, we um, went into uh, a deep dive of many of your... Uh, thoughts, feelings, and past experiences as well, Lorcan, yeah. to be fair. Did you ever do any acting as a kid? Were you never tempted to tread the boards outside of our improv class? I did one school musical, Bugsy Malone. I was a member of Dandy Dan's gang. Uh, that's about it, really. I, I, when we did, like, studied plays... It didn't, didn't, didn't give you an itch or anything that you had to keep scratching? Or was that what the improv was? I guess the improv kind of was that, in a way. Maybe uh, maybe the uh, the itch is still there, like on some sort of deeper level. But I've not felt the itch in a while. But who knows? I like creating. I view this as a creative outlet in a way. So, but anyway, that has been the latest episode of Silver Screen Visions. It'll be back sometime, maybe next month, depending on release schedules and patterns. We'll be going back to Match of the Week for our next episode, and it's my pick. We're at a time when there was all these talks of belt unifications and Kenny Omega as the belt collector. We're going to talk about the ultimate belt collector, although they mispronounce it as ultimate. It's Starcade 96. It's for the Cruiserweight Championship of Dimalenko's against the eight belt j crown of ultimo dragon that's a lot of hardware on display but after that if people want to get in touch with us before then how simon how can they get in touch with you they can get in touch with me on twitter where i'm sewn under simon cross free free for the number of dead weight wrestlers that cartman wanted to drop jimmy butters token <laughs> My name is Lorcan Mullen, that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for the A at the end of Philadelphia, N for the N at the end of Cartman. Although I guess A-N is the end of Cartman as well. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd. If you're putting out gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. But there's nothing left to say at this point except that my name's Lorcan Trashman Mullen. And my name is Simon Birds of War Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something, you capitalist pigs. (laughs) And have a great time. Until the next time.